Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses recently just the masterpieces. Oh. Sometimes the trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's masterpiece time again. Um, I won't go that far. A, a lot of people would disagree. Well, I <laughs> okay. disagree well, with a lot of let's, people. Let's face it, with Horror Court Trash Over, masterpiece just means a good film. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, in comparison to the other shit we've spoken about. Um, Yeah, so it's our second and final Women in Horror Month episode. And uh, we have got a great film for you today. We are talking about the 2013 reboot slash sequel of Evil Dead. Uh, Now, the term reboot, in my eyes, uh, and I, I believe this is correct, means to... Kind of includes something in the same universe as its original material and, uh, you know, not completely reset it in the same way a remake would. Uh, And somebody messaged us on Twitter yesterday saying, it's a sequel, not a reboot, and then deleted the tweet quite quickly after. So I think they realised that's what it actually means. But it's it's a sequel that pretty much follows the same plot as the first film. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean... Which is understandable because, you know, the whole plot of the first one is this cabin and the book and, yeah, that's the formula. So, I mean, that's technically what Evil Dead 2 does as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just Army of Darkness is just in its own little world. Uh, as a franchise, I fucking love Evil Dead. It's one of the few franchises where I'll give every film 10 stars out of 10. Um, it's just so enjoyable. It You know, you've got the first Evil Dead, which is straight up horror, this film, which is straight up horror, and then you've got your two comedy films in between, and of course there's the Ash vs. Evil Dead TV series as well, there's the video games, it's just, uh, it's just really enjoyable horror, like... I would say there's a little bit of comedy to the original film. A little bit, but it's more scary than the other two that come after it. Yeah, yeah, I uh, so. I mean, Evil Dead 2 is one of my favourite horror comedies of all time. It's just slapstick, gore, over-the-top, perfect film. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very popular franchise. Uh, I, I named my letterbox name after the types of demons you get in these films, Deadite Gaz 92. Um, uh, yeah, and this... I would say this film takes itself more seriously yeah. than any of the other yeah, films. Yeah, this definitely takes itself the most seriously. You've got yeah. some serious themes in here and um, more female representation as well because, I mean, you've got the first three films, Ash is your lead character, Bruce Campbell is iconic in the role, um, but he is very much your lead character for those films. Uh, whereas this film, you've got... Female protagonist, female antagonist, turns back to female protagonist, and so on. And obviously we'll explain as we go on. But you get a wide range of representation for women in this film. And much like last week's film, Carrie, both films um, have some sort of uh, entity taken over someone. But I mean, obviously last week it was telekinesis um, within Carrie, and this week it's possession. And they both end with the lead character covered in blood. Yeah. Take from that what you will. Uh, so yeah, this was released in 2013 on a 17 million dollar budget, and it was very successful at the box office. It made its money back, um, and it's got a really good following. Like horror fans really embrace this, and I, and I was saying to Chris yesterday, this is really around the time when horror started getting good again. Um, you know, between 2000 and 2009. 
there just wasn't a lot. There wasn't really anything that stood out. I mean, obviously there was Saw because you had your old torture porn phase. Um, but for me, you know, Saw was groundbreaking. But then you got, you know, things like Hostel and everything. It's just, I don't know. It just wasn't really a standout decade for horror for me. No, I think there's always a collective sigh when a reboot or a remake or a sequel or a reimagining is announced. There's a, I mean, we we post updates like that on the Facebook page. Yeah. There's always a... And, and I would join in on a lot of them as well. But there's always a bit of a collective, oh, God, another one. And sort of during the... 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was, there was massive... a lot, a lot of remakes, a lot of subpar remakes, a lot of the fuck you remaking that film remakes. Yeah. Um, so I think in 2013 we were sort of still there where we were like, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm excited for this or not. And yeah. it is a good film. It's And it's true to the original and... It brings something new into it, new ideas, new elements. It, it, but it still stays faithful to what the Evil Dead is. Yeah, so and it, it, for that, it it is successful. Yeah, and and that's the thing, you know. It's um, like you said, there was that remake resurgence. You had the early two thousands. It was still the screen rip offs, and then you had your remakes in the middle, and then your torture porn. And then this, this goes into the whole, you know, more well-made films. Because, I mean, this is practical effects all the way through. Like, you get one or two CGI scenes, but then you get practical effects all the way through. So this is kind of in a stage when, you know, Cabin in the Woods was released just before. This is when you were getting your love letter to older horror films. Yeah, I, I don't think this film is as clever as the others. You you look at a film like Hereditary, which is... Oh, yeah, it's definitely evolved since this. Yeah, yeah. if you if you took out... You, we're building up to this point yeah. where you have Hereditary and Midsummer and, and Us and Get Out, and we're building up to that. And this is one of the films that sort of started. Yeah. It, it took itself very seriously, mm. and it was you know, brought some proper themes into it. Did, did it fully encompass, you know, these themes? No, not, not really. Um, but it, it did well. It did well. Yeah. And, and and a lot of people assumed when it was announced and it had the same title and everything, you saw the trailer, everybody assumed that it was a straight-up remake of The Evil Dead. You know, it, no one really assumed it was going to be a sort of distant sequel um which brings me to the trivia um the original plan was to have a uh a sequel to uh, army of darkness a sequel to this and then there was going to be one film where it was a team up between ash and mia uh the lead character from this and there is, you know, there's still a uh, sequel and the, there's going to be a new Evil Dead film later on this year. So hopefully they still go ahead with that plan. Uh, but this is very much a sequel slash soft reboot. Um, there was 70,000 gallons of blood used in this film, fake blood. Yeah, you can tell. 50,000 of that was in the final scene. There we go. It rained, didn't it? Yeah. I mean... 95% of this film was shot in order. And the first letter of all the main first letters of all the main characters' names spells demon. There we go. If you nice put it together, <laughs> um, 
Fede Alvarez, the director, has a background with C more CGI-orientated films, but uh, he decided to use practical effects in this as a tribute to Sam Raimi. Makes sense. Yes, and it, it, it really works so much better for the film. It really does. I mean, imagine this with CGI. It would have just been really corny. Yeah, yeah. Um... The practical effects must have done something, right? Because it was uh, actually banned in Ukraine. Okay. Yeah, so that matches the original's uh, video nasty status, where that was banned. You don't really hear many films getting no, banned. No, no. Unless it's, like, really nasty. Mm. Um, like, is it Serbian film? Yeah. Shit like that. Um, I don't think even that was banned. Centipede the Human Centipede 2, 2 was banned. Yeah. You know, ones that go too far this is just a very bloody film this film yeah but you know what for the year it was released it is extremely violent it is but it's so over the top yeah it's so yeah like the original the and yeah and quite ridiculous and the, the film does take itself a lot more seriously but i i feel like in the gore aspects you know there's a lot of you know, over the top yeah violence that's, that's where the, so over the top yeah that it, it, it does sort of become slightly slapstick. Yeah, which lends itself to the original trilogy. Yeah, exactly. Um, it actually originally had an NC-17 in uh, America, which producer Sam Raimi, who directed the uh, original trilogy, he and Fede Alvarez are actually fine with that. They, they wanted it to have the NC-17, but okay. the studio was like, no, you're not releasing an NC-17 no, film. That's a death curse. Yeah. So they made them cut it down to an R. There is... Uh, <laughs> Funny enough, there is an extended version of this that has now been released uh, in blue on Blu-ray everywhere other than the UK. But Studio Canal, the studio that released this, uh, accidentally provided Channel 4 with that version, uh, the UK TV channel, so they accidentally showed it one day. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so that's the only way UK fans got to see it. Um, Fede Alvarez pitched this film to the studio as the audience watching something they're not supposed to watch. Okay. Because of the over-top violence and oh, I see. And such. Oh. So kind of like, you know, when you're first getting into horror and you're a kid and you're not really supposed to be watching something and then... Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. Excuse me. Hence why they wanted an NC-17. Um, so uh, the originally there was going to be a remake and when it was in production in 2003, Ashton Kutcher and Marlon Wayans were considered for the role of Ash. How that could have worked. Yeah. Yeah. Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> that probably would have come into the latter remake pile. Yeah. Um, where it's just sort of a real cheap rehash of the original film. It, it probably would have been. But, yeah, I, th I think Ashton... I don't know. I haven't watched Ashton Kutcher in much. <laughs> no. I don't know about him as Ash. He doesn't have the same charm as Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Um, and really the the main connection of it and the plot being the exact same, but with character-wise, is uh, Mia and David are brother and sister, and so were Ash and Cheryl in the original. Yes. Um, so There's a few bits that are the same. Yeah, yeah. The, the, like, like you said, the plot is very much... Yeah, the same. You know, the same. The Apart same. from, you know, it's a little more serious. So, before we get into it, uh, female representation, Mia. Uh, for me... It's interesting because she is, through a lot of the film, the Cheryl of the original film. Yeah. Um, so she is the sister. Um, she's a little more well-rounded 
um, Cheryl in the original was a, a, a little just sort of seen as uptight. Yeah. And then that was sort of her character trait, whereas Mia has been through a lot. She's a recovering drug addict. That's the reason they're at the cabin. Mm. Um, so she's multifaceted. She's a little more interesting. She's more sympathetic than Cheryl was. Um, she's sort of treated the same as Cheryl through a lot of the film, really, mm. until the very end. So she, she sort of goes from protagonist to antagonist and then protagonist again. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting. People say, oh, well, she's the female Ash. Well, I don't feel like she was. She's not, no. I don't feel like she was no. because David was Ash. Yeah. And D- David was our guy who we thought was going to save the day. Yeah. You know, throughout the film until the end. Um, so, as, it was interesting to have Mia be the focal point at the end, it was, you know, and to be our final girl, because, uh, by all accounts, Ash in the first film was a final girl. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I don't think she was, you know, kick-ass. Killing it, Ellen Ripley style, like some people think. She maybe was at the end, through necessity, but she, you know, she wasn't that strong of a female. I'd have to disagree. I mean, well, by the third act, I'd have to disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, like you said, you know, taking it back to how people thought this was going to be female Ash, when this was first announced, obviously the internet was in uproar, like, oh, I can't believe Ash is a man, my, my Ash is a man, fuck off. No, you can't fucking put a gender on a made-up person, you fucking idiot. But, obviously, it's not the case, because Ash still exists, as we know, through the post-credits scene. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right in the way that David is the version of Ash you got in this film, but in a way, Mia's kind of like a, a late, Janet Lee fake out um, in the way well, well technically David is in the way that you know you've got an hour and 20 minutes of thinking David is your lead character um, you know that's fighting off these deadites and such and then Mia comes back to life you've got no more David and then she is your lead character um, and the reason I think she's a strong character is because obviously th- this entire film is her overcoming a drug addiction yeah if you yeah, look at it, do you think that maybe the metaphorically? Yeah, I think the dead arts are her facing her demons. Yeah, um, and obviously succumbing to them, you know, as a metaphor for addiction, when she is possessed, uh, and then you know her coming out of it and then fighting the abomination at the end is her fighting the addiction and then defeating it. Yeah, that that's a really interesting premise. That's a really interesting idea. I don't know if that's what was intended, but that's I, what I took I away from it. I feel that maybe that is. You know, because they could have just sent Ellen having a little holiday in the cabin. In mm, the wood. Yeah. You know, um, I, I really think that her drug addiction is there to mean something or is a big part of the story. Yeah. Um, I do find it interesting and we'll come across it as we go on. But um, like I said with Carrie last week, a lot of the issues are caused by men. Mm. You know, uh, Mia becomes our antagonist when she's taken over by the deadite spirit. Um, but it's fucking hipster faces' fault. Yeah, he reads um, the book. And also her drug addiction. Um, 
it's not said specifically, but it was a, a coping mechanism for when she was pretty much abandoned by David hmm. to look after her dying mother by herself. Yeah. Um, it's not said outright, but I, I, I feel that, you know, she used drugs to cope with that time. And therefore her drug addiction was kind of David's fault for yeah. abandoning his family. Um, the same way Margaret White was abandoned in Carrie by her husband and she became the way she was um, because of that moment. Yeah, which is why I've, I think she's such an... Uh, I, for both of these films, both of these weeks now, I think that's what makes it so interesting with female representation is yeah. that, you know, it's quite empowering in the way that they're fighting back these problems that have originally been caused by men. and then Exactly. And when you think about the film... Um, Mia would was always should have been our final girl. Yeah. Because David wasn't as sympathetic. No. You know, in the original, Ash was just such a likable guy, and it, yeah. it was quite sad because I I didn't think any of his friends were unlikable. Whereas in this one, there's a few characters that are quite unlikable. Uh, the men in particular, really. Yeah. Um, but in the original, no one was really unlikable, so there was a bit of a sadness to it. Um, Ash seeing all his fam- uh, it's family and friends dying in front of him. Um, whereas in this one, Mia is probably the most sympathetic character. Yeah. So, But she's also saved by David in the end as well. True. But then she has to save herself when he's gone. Yeah, yeah. So it really, it starts with, as well as a drug addiction, it starts with her on her, her, on her own, you know, after coping with her mum and everything, mm-hmm. and ends with her on her own as well. I don't think she was on her own, though, because she had her two friends take her yeah, to the cabin. They didn't really, you know, like they said, they really... I don't know if they're as present as they could have been because they were saying about how they took her before and she went home early and stuff. It didn't, it didn't really strike me yeah. as major people in her life. But that brings me to the next person, uh, Olivia. Uh, she's obviously... She's a nurse, not a doctor, remember? Olivia. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's a nurse, not a doctor. Um, for me, I don't know, she has a moments where she's unlikable but I don't know if that's just you know her trying to be harsh but fair to help Mia yeah you know it's kind of it's a strange one she's kind of like in the middle of the of the two representations in this one um she is very much a side character but she's also important in a way of trying to force Mia to get over her addiction mm. What would you think about this I character? don't think much to her. She, um, spoiler alert, she's actually the first one to die. Yeah. Um, but she gets more character development than Natalie, the other. Yeah, yeah. N- Natalie's just there for an extra death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to make up the numbers. And I, I actually believe that. I don't, I don't, um, there's no development to her. I, I actually forgot that she was in the film. Yeah. For a lot of it. Um, this Olivia, Olivia isn't mm. it, the nurse? Uh, I don't know. She she seemed to be harsh but fair. Um, maybe taken over the motherly role. Yeah. To a certain degree. Um, but, she, I don't know. It, it's hard because she doesn't really... It's not, she didn't have much dialogue. She didn't really have much. She just sort of kept trying to, you know help Mia or, mm. or tell David that not to drive Mia away. 
Yeah, she, she was very much trying to be the voice of reason. Shit hit the fan. Yeah. yeah, but maybe she made some wrong decisions. Maybe the moment it happened, they should have drove away. Yeah. Um, I don't know, she wasn't really present enough in the film for no. me to care. And then, like we said, with Natalie, she's, uh, she's David's girlfriend, and she's very much there as... Within, you know, the female role in horror films, she is that the blonde victim that's there to be killed, basically. Mm, mm. Um, you know... She was a sympathetic death for the character of David. Yeah. Um, but that, that was a bad it, really. And she had some... Her death had some cool moments mm. uh, for the gore. And, I, you know, I think maybe the writers didn't think too much into no those characters and just thought actually should be pretty cool to chop her arm off that's yeah. a cool character to see you do that um uh, you know I, I, I don't know i don't know i think for me within the whole film me is the only one that's really multifaceted mm. uh david is almost there but I, I don't feel like I've got much to say about David either. But he abandoned his family. Yeah. It's kind of his pop point. Yeah, and then he was just a, a guy fighting for survival yeah. throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. Um, right, so getting into it, the plot is five friends head to a remote cabin where the discovery of a book of the dead leads them to unwittingly summon up the demons in the nearby woods. And we start with a TriStar logo. This uh, always throws me a bit because TriStar is not very... Is it still a thing now? TriStar? I just remember it from the from the 90s. No, I think TriStar's still a thing. Mm, okay. Must be. Um, we see a woman covered in blood walking around the woods, and she's uh, knocked out by someone who says, Top the bitch. <laughs> um, great start for a woman in horror representation episode. Top the bitch. <laughs> yeah. So she's tied up in a basement. There's cats hanging everywhere. There's really strange-looking people standing around. Um, her dad's there with her and uh, she's pleading with him to let her go and uh, he tells her that she killed her mum. He pours petrol over her and, you know, she's still pleading for help but then her voice changes a bit and uh, she tells him she'll rip his soul out, cause him a pathetic fuck. (laughs) Um, He sets fire to her and the only CGI uh, scene that we get in the film and uh, she gets shot and we get a title card. I mean... What an introduction. Yeah. <laughs> That's a strong intro. Yeah. I mean, and this is basically there to set up the basement of the cabin. Because uh, this is obviously someone who's also far victim to the Book of the Dead and has become a dead eye, a kill of the family. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it pretty much that's just there for that, really. Yeah, I don't think this film... Um feels the need to explain it to us. No. I, I think they, they know that we know what the Evil Dead was yeah. in the film. So we kind of guess from the beginning what's been going on. And, yeah, so it, it's just a, a cool start to... Yeah. It's their know. way of saying, you know what, look, this is in the right hands. This is an Evil Dead film. This is what you're getting. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, we get a really good overhead shot of um, our main characters driving to the cabin. Um, which was very, very Kubrick, I found it. The... Oh, yeah, 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 you get a lot. Of, uh, wasn't the woods upside down? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, any shot like that, you're going to get that's a shining. Yeah, there's there's some great camera work in this film. There really is, because, I mean, as well as it being a over-the-top horror film, it's very well made as well. 
Um, so we're introduced to our characters. You've got David and Natalie um, speaking to uh, Olivia. Uh, Natalie introduces herself and says, uh, oh, uh, Olivia, you're a doctor. And she's like, oh, no, actually, I'm a registered nurse, bitch. Without the bitch. I feel like there was maybe a romantic history there. Yeah, I think there, there was. Really... I think Olivia is David's ex. Yeah. Yeah. But she, she's, her boyfriend is the hipster guy. Yeah, so yeah. we're introduced to Eric, and I've got here, he's the most 70s character you'll ever see well, in any I film. got confused. <laughs> so he came in, and I was like, oh, is this, is this set in the past? Well, apparently the actor chose to, um, to, to go with the glasses and the wig uh, in order to give it more of an authentic style for the time that the original was set in. I was like, well, the original was 1980s. This is very 1970s, but he, okay. Yeah, he looked <laughs> like the um, Friday the 13th Part 3 yeah. hippie guy. He, just, he looked like he was going to be killed by Leatherface, if I'm honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did. It did, did throw me a little bit. I was like, <laughs> everyone else looks like modern, and he doesn't. <laughs> so yeah, they have a little chat, and uh, David's told Mia, uh, his sister is out back. And then we're introduced to Mia. Uh, she's played by Jane Levy, and Jane Levy is a fantastic actress. Uh, she was really good in Don't Breathe, which was made by the same team as this. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also a fan of... I, um, Suburgatory, which is a TV series she was in. I used to really enjoy it. It's a comedy. It's, it's not horror. Uh, but yeah, I always used to really enjoy watching that. She doesn't seem to be in enough these days. I've, I think is she not doing much? I kind of feel like Don't Breathe might have been the last film I've seen her in. That, um, that was a long time ago. Especially she doesn't want to get typecast in. No. But it's the same director, isn't it? That, well, that was the exact same team. Yeah. Don't so Breathe. Like Sam really, Raimi, Fede Alvarez. They must have really enjoyed having her yeah. on this there. Uh, or, or really enjoyed her work, which is nice. Yeah. And again, she plays a very strong female lead with uh, family troubles in Don't Breathe as well. So like you said, I mean, it could be easy for her to be typecast, considering that's two roles the same, but obviously from the same team making the film as well. Um, but I, I do hope she comes back for another Evil Dead film. Are you looking at her filmography? Yeah, well, no, I'm just looking. She's actually in a TV series at the moment, so oh, okay. it's Extraordinary Playlist. Oh. Uh, but it's not actually started yet, but she is the lead in it, and it's a, a musical comedy. Good. So that sounds good. Yeah, huh. so we might have, to, might have to watch that. Yes. Because she's quite a likeable like, likeable actress. Uh, so when we were introduced to her, she is uh, drawing pictures and sitting on the car from the original film, which is a very nice touch. Because as we all know, this car is in every single, almost every Sam Raimi film. Was that car abandoned in the first Technically. Film? I mean, they didn't... It was still outside the cabin, where yeah, it is in this. So, so maybe that's our first hint that this is a sequel. Yeah. Uh, we're then introduced to my favourite character in the film, Grandpa the Dog. <laughs> yeah. We, we, love, we love dogs. Um, this one is quite short-lived, sadly. Um, David gives Mia a necklace and uh, promises he'll stay through, with her throughout her, uh, her... What's the word for it? Re- rehabilitation? Rehabilitation, yeah. yeah. Essentially, she's going cold turkey. Yeah. And the best place to go cold turkey is in the middle of the woods where you can't run out and get... Yeah. And this is their family's old cabin. So, I mean, there's that question there as to whether it's, you know, there's some relation to the original characters. Because I believe that was their family's cabin as well in the original film. 
Oh, potentially then. So that could be a good, you know, plot point for when they do the team up film if they still do it. What um, do you think was interesting about the necklace, Gazman? The necklace is thrown on the floor later in the film and it's in the same shape as the necklace in the first two. It's it's just as ugly just as, as ugly the as necklace <laughs> in the first film. I really don't understand. <laughs> I know it was small budget. I think it is the same necklace. It, but this is a wooden version mm. where it was metal in the first film. But uh, what what was um, Ash's girlfriend called? Oh, oh so... forgive me. I can't remember her name in the first film. But when Ash gives it to her, she reacts as if it's like a fucking diamond ring. <laughs> like from Tiffany's or something. And it's just like... It looks like a fucking magnifying glass on a, <laughs> on a necklace. But it's got to look ugly, so when it's thrown on the floor, it could be in the shape of a skull. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So, um... This is the same design for some reason. Ugly necklaces aside, uh, we find out um, that, you know, obviously, like I said, she's there for re- rehabilitation. She does a little speech and throws her drugs down the well and says, let's play cold turkey. <laughs> she does, don't she? Yes. <laughs> Um, Sorry, I'm not laughing at that. I'm just. It was just the scene was quite funny. I thought you were still thinking about the necklace, to be honest. Uh, I'm still <laughs> slightly thinking about that necklace. So she should have thrown the necklace down the fucking well. Um, so, so they go to the cabin. It's already open. Um, it's really, really run down. Um, Shit all. Yeah, basically. Um, so they have a conversation about a lullaby, which is actually quite important later on in the film. Um, it's a lullaby that David and Mia's mum used to sing to them. Um, and we're told that the lyrics are baby, little baby, time to say goodbye, I believe it was. Um, which again, you... write the lyrics down. Okay, well, we hear it later on in any way. And then that's when we get a bit of exposition about the background with Mia and David's mum. And uh, when she was sick, she thought Mia was David and she'd pretend that she was just to keep her happy. And we find out David was a bit neglectful because of work and Mia was always there for her. And uh, Yeah, and Mia says, maybe you were lucky not to see her the way that I did. Yeah. Um, which is quite interesting. So I'm assuming there was no dad on the scene either. No. 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 So, David completely abandoned, you know, his mother and Mia, by mm. all accounts. Yeah. Uh, and I think this kind of gives you that emotional connection to Mia that you need for the rest of the film to be invested in her. Yeah. Um, and sort of Mia taking on the role of David... Yeah. ...is also a little hint at what's to come in the yeah, film. Yeah, it's true. Um, at the end... At their mother's end, Mia takes on mm, yeah. that role. I mean, this, this film, like I said, is very much, you know, um, and why I thought it was important to include it on Women in Horror Month is because it's women taking over the role of men. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a very interesting take in a modern horror film, especially when you get so many people upset on the internet for that sort of thing happening. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I read an article um, whilst doing a, a very small amount of research for this film, and it says... Why the Evil Dead has done the gender swap without pissing you Jesus off. Jesus And I'm Christ. like, why... Why would it piss anyone off anyway? And you're like, yeah, we know that the Ghostbusters all-female cast has pissed you off, but Evil Dead did it right. <laughs> Fucking Ghostbusters pissed me oh, off so much. How did much? Evil Dead do it right? They chucked her in the basement she's, Yeah, she's not even. She's not even meant to be Ash. No. That's not the point. No. And... 
Oh, fucking hell. And, and that's the thing. The, the fucking thing that pissed me off about Ghostbusters is that film is not that bad. Like, people really need to calm the fuck down. Just because Donald Trump released a video fucking ranting about how Ghostbusters being made with women doesn't mean you have to hate it with him. He's a piece of shit. Don't fucking try and copy him. Because that's basically what the whole the internet did. Do you remember that video he released? It was like, and now they're making Ghostbusters with women. Oh, fuck off, you piece of shit. <laughs> He's such a cunt. And he really is. I mean... It's fucking recent comments about parasites. Um, do you know what? I'm not going on this tangent. When, when you, yeah, just I'm gonna leave it there. Ghostbusters, the female reboot, is not that bad. Don't at me. Is it that good? It, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. It's just yeah. entertaining. It's not a m- groundbreaking masterpiece, but it's not the worst film ever. Like some people decided it was just from watching the fucking trailer. Give me a fucking break. Anyway, so, um, rant aside, so Olivia reveals to David that Mia has done this before. She lasted eight hours and quit, and she OD'd and nearly died. Uh, but she was, uh, defibrillated, is that the term? Yeah. 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 Um, brought back to life, which is a little bit of foreshadowing for later in the film. Um, oh my god, such foreshadowing at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about that. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, and then, you know, Olivia says if she does this again, she wants to go, then we're not taking her back. Uh, David's a little um and an about the idea, but, you know, Eric, um, everyone's favourite 70s character is, you know, completely behind the idea. Um, and then we cut to, we have quite a hard cut to Mia screaming and freaking out in the cabin, and this really shows off her performance skills, and she's very much a fucking screen queen. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very much. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Olivia's comforting her. She's going crazy in the cabin, but it's because she could smell something. Uh, she could smell, like, something's died. And, uh, we get a hero of the film, Grandpa the Dog, discovering the basement. Yes. This is all thanks to Grandpa. Wow, it is, actually. <laughs> it's all the dog's fault. The male, the male dog, there we go. There we go. <laughs> it is the male's fault in this film. It is. <laughs> So he discovers the basement and there's all blood around the basement door, which kind of, I was thinking this is, that could be from the original film. Because it would make sense. Yeah, but all the dead cats are from specifically the the clip before. Yeah, the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, the beginning of the, the beginning of the film, <laughs> Not, didn't insert a clip into the film. And, uh, so they open up the basement and Mia asks, what's your medical, what's your medical diagnosis now? And, uh, Olivia says it fucking stinks. There we go. <laughs> so they, uh, Eric and David go down into the basement very much like, um, you know, in the, the original Evil Dead, it was just the two male characters that went down then. They, uh, discover the hanging cats, the shotgun, the book of the dead, um, and then we get some meat cutting. Yeah. And a bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> From the yeah. same that character. For fuck's sake. <laughs> same character using the same electric knife that she uses to cut off her own arm. Um, and uh, Mia's walking around in circles in the rain. And we get a very dramatic shot of Eric opening the book. Um, well, the Book of the Dead. Plastic, yeah. And the book, it? of course, like the original, was covered in skin. And I think the build-up, the, the slow motion going up to Dave, to uh, Eric, and uh, the dramatic moment of him opening the book, is very much them saying, look, you've watched the original films, you know what shit's about to go down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, absolutely. Eric. I don't, 
Eric proceeds to read out the book. Eric represents every white person in a horror film. (laughs) Um, And he opens the book. It says on the first page, leave this book alone. He continues flicking through it, cuts himself on the book, bleeds into it, and then a warning saying, do not read this book. And it's... Decides to read decides it, to out, read it for out for everyone. There's um, nobody even there. In a very cool scene, though, because as he reads it, we get the Sam Raimi cam uh, go through the words. And if you're not familiar, it's basically a camera going really fast through the words that kind of symbolises the demon- demonic entity in this film coming to these people. And it's so cool. It's such a throwback to the original. It's amazing. And it's good for a low budget. As it well. is very good it's for very a low effective. budget. Yeah. So it, it reaches Mia and she throws up. Um, Do you think it went to Mia straight away? Yes. Because she was a damaged person. Yeah, and there's the whole thing in cinema history where demons prey on the weak. Yeah. And so I think that was very much intended. Uh, and, and like I said, I think it's also a symbol for her addiction um, in a way coming back. And that's her being possessed. And I think that's why also why it went straight to her. Uh-huh. Um... So she sees, uh, like, a deadite version of herself in the... Uh... Yeah, but doesn't recognise it's her. That's why I got a little... She confused. doesn't say, no. And there's part of me that's thinking, was it meant to be the girl from the start of the film? Yeah. Because, I mean, her and Mia me look very much the same. Yeah, because she's... The, the deadite is quite, um, like, pale and the hair's, like, really dark like wet yeah so it's difficult to tell who it was meant to be if it was meant to be her which i think it was i do i think, think it was, it was yeah yeah and uh, then obviously we're seeing the two sides of yeah. his personality yeah. um so she sees her and then she starts gathering her things to leave sensible thinking but obviously they think it's because she's trying to avoid going cold turkey mm-hmm. um and now Eric uh, and Olivia are telling her she's not leaving and David is joining in with the idea as well. Um, but she escapes through the window anyway and drives away. Um, Dead-Eye Mia appears in front of the car and causes her to crash into uh, a pond nearby. Would you say there's a pond or a... Yeah, uh, let's say pond. Lake. I, I think it's too small. I don't think it was a lake. But it was a load of water anyway. Um... <laughs> Way too much time discussing that. <laughs> so, uh, Mia Maybe escapes. Maybe <laughs> Maybe Mia escapes from the escapes from the car, and uh, then the deadite version of her rises up from the pond. Carol Saint pond. Um, Mia runs away and falls into a thorn bush, and now we get a scene that is fucking just disturbing, because this is uh, this is very much taken from the original. Yeah. So. Um... Mia's trying to escape and this vision of herself causes her to crash. Um, so I feel there's a little bit of Don't symbolism bring the pond up again. Symbolism <laughs> there. I'm not talking about the pond, but a little bit of symbolism there, you know. She's blocking her own way yeah. to freedom. There we are. I, I don't know if that's the no, intention. No. I don't know. I've never heard the director speak of these things but that's how i got it so we know and and, and as fans of the, the the original film we know she's stuck there anyway yeah um but 
this is quite symbolic of her running away from her troubles and this side of her is keeping her there and then she gets tangled up in the branches oh thorn bush oh the thorn bush yeah and um similar to the original with Cheryl um but also it's she the deadite version of her comes back spits out some yeah this is what's I don't know it just makes it more gross or uh it kind of it kind of justifies the scene being in there because in the original you basically just get Cheryl being raped by a tree yeah in the original very um, sexualised in the original yeah it is very sexualised and um, I think Sam Raimi has said has he, gone on record saying yeah, he regrets he regrets that. it he didn't want that in there no um, it was very gratuitous it was very unnecessary It was for me it was just for shock value yeah and a little bit of titillation which you know um, I'll a lot of horror films use rape as yeah. a way to shock. You know, it's like, if if the blood and guts don't shock you enough, let's put a sexual assault in there. And it, it, I don't I don't like that. I find them fully uncomfortable. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I mean, for me, the original version of this scene, still to this day, it still makes me uncomfortable sitting through it. It just feels very... Uh, and I think that's what, you know, it adds to how disturbing the original is because it's got very, yeah, it just feels like, again, like Fede Alvarez said it, it, about this ver- this film, you know, it feels like you shouldn't be watching it. It feels very grimy and Because disgusting. it's gratuitous. I mean, in the original film, Cheryl's top's ripped off. Yeah. And this is by a tree. And this I is found, by a tree. Yeah, I found this just as disturbing as the rape scenes in, like, Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. But this is a fucking tree. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's weird when you think about it, but when you watch it, it's just really uncomfortable. Whereas this version is not so much looked at as a rape scene, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say. I think it's a way of whatever entity fully entering her body. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very um, much... I, I think maybe... It, they could have just went through, like, the map. They could have just had her, like swallowing something mm. or to be honest you know, that would have probably looked just as bad with the size <laughs> of this branch yeah, I mean <laughs> you know but it came out of her dead yeah. eye mouth well, this is what's interesting why didn't it go through her mouth I, I, I didn't think the nod to sexual assault in the first film was, was necessary no I mean I think it's less gratuitous yeah I mean you, you very much you got the you know the branches uh, from the thorn brush coming to life and separating her legs and you know pulling her arms apart uh, and that you know so there is that look of the sexual assault happening of course it comes out of Dead Like Mia's mouth the final branch and then goes right up her uh, uh, skirt. her skirt shall we say yeah. and um, yeah and then that's when you you know the dead eye Mia starts screaming at the same time as Mia. That kind of gives you the indication that she's possessed uh, from that moment. Uh, again, you know, I, I don't know how necessary it was, but, you know, at the same time, it is there to say, look, we are acknowledging the original film. Yeah. Um, so, I Olivia... I didn't think that needed acknowledging. No. Because Sam Raimi had gone... Yeah, it means he regretted it. I mean... Saying that he regretted that Well, that's scene. the thing. I mean, maybe... Or at least the way the scene was shot. Yeah, maybe including it in a less sexualised manner. Maybe that was him, you know, 
trying to redeem himself in a way. Maybe. I mean, I mean, it is one of those things, and um, I, I feel a little uncomfortable talking about it, if I'm being honest, you know, as, as two guys. Um, but it crops up in a lot of films. Um, you have a film like I Spit on Your Grave. Mm. You, you know, it's fundamental to the story. Really uncomfortable. And I, I feel that that's a little gratuitous as well in that oh, film. very. You know, these very. exploitation films that rely on sexual assault to, you know, number one, get the lead actress's kit off. And I fully mm. believe, you know, that that is part of it. And you, you watch a film like I Spit on Your Grave um, and it feels dirty yeah in a way because we're watching somebody sexually assaulted and and you know that that's not to say that we love horror films you know we see people get their heads cut off and yeah. body body parts flying everywhere and we watch that for entertainment but there's something about it's because it goes on in real life you know yeah. you, you don't really i mean people get murdered in real life but not in necessarily in the same sort of inventive ways to do in horror films yeah um and i think it's very important to discuss especially whilst we're doing a woman in horror month episode um you know it is always women in horror this happens to you don't necessarily see it happen with men no no um and it is it's i mean unless obviously we're talking about deliverance yeah but, well yeah really when it's done right it's you know it, it isn't it's it's shocking but it it i don't know it it brings something different to the narrative mm. Um, sometimes it's just not necessary. You watch a film, like, and it's not a horror film, but The Accused with Jodie Foster, mm. you know, the whole narrative is based around, you know, her sexual assault. Yeah. And it's really shocking, and it's a mm. really difficult scene to get through um, because it's, you know, played for real. Yeah. It's not there to titillate. It's not an exploitation mm. film. It's a very serious film and it's a very serious subject matter and it's treated like that. Yeah. You know, whereas in a film like, what is, uh, there's so many of them. There's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I Spit on Your Grave, it, it feels, you know, nasty. Yeah, it feels... it, in the way that it's, you know, it's, included there so then we can get a horror film where someone goes out and commits acts of revenge and such and it's as much as that's satisfying for you know someone who's been through that is the fact that your son's getting their revenge or something like that you know it's um at the same time it's using a very real life matter to set up a piece of fiction yeah and not in a it's not in a necessarily sensitive way either. No, it's not. And it's it's, it's a very sensitive, sensitive subject. Yeah. You know, it should always be treated with sensitivity. Um, and that's not to say these are bad films. I I, I don't no. I don't think I spit on your grave as a bad film no, necessarily. No. It and it's a sign of the times as yeah. well. It it is things have changed now. Um, but it's just so uncomfortable. But then you've got watch. a remake of Us Put in Your Grave, and then you've got its two sequels, and then you've got the sequel to the original, when then again, it's very much all sexual assault based. It's like, okay, that wasn't the main aspect of that film. You know, you've had the sexual assault scene, fair enough, you've got to have it in the remake, it's a remake, great. 
after that, why are you still including this shit in its sequels? Just have her going out on revenge or something, you know, it's... As the, yeah, I suppose you People have... don't watch it just for the rape. No. But I, I, I think there needs to be a subtlety to it. Yeah. And, and I think, essentially, what the difference between The Evil Dead and The Evil Dead reboot is the first film, you know, it wasn't subtle. No. It was there to to titillate essentially mm. whereas in the second film it's a shocking moment yeah uh, but it's not you know jane levy stays fully clothed yeah and um there isn't any close-ups of her tits or, or anything like that no. uh, where it is in the first film so it, it's played in a different way um so there's a violation there yeah and we're shocked by it essentially yeah. I, I'm just not sure if it and it's not it's not you know there's no sexualizing of women in this film which is something I noticed in um, from around the time when this film was released um, a lot of films since then we've not really had much nudity or in the same way we would still in the 2000s um, I still leading up to this but I'm you know I've just it's just not really related to this film but in general I've noticed a lot less of it because the morals are different now yeah the, the, Horror films aren't necessarily morality tales. No, I think the most nudity I've seen in a horror film over the past few years or so is probably Midsummer, and that certainly was not sexualized. No, but they deal with other subject matter. Yeah. Uh, whereas the horror films, particularly of the eighties, were morality tales. And, yeah. You know, if you have sex before marriage, you will die. It's true. And in order for the audience to know you've had sex before marriage, you need to get your tits out. Yeah. You basically. know. But, so, um, <laughs> next scene. Um, Olivia and David find Mia after the tree... Oh, God, nearly choking her. After the tree incident, uh, take her back to the cabin, and uh, Olivia still won't let her leave. She, In fact, she says that she probably went into the thorn bush on purpose. Uh, and and this is the moment where I questioned how much I really liked Olivia. I was like, oh, okay, you're being a bit over the top now, because, you know, this girl's clearly going for a terrible time. Let her fucking leave, you know? Yeah. She... Either way, you know, you could do it again, whatever. But, you know, do you really care about her well-being at this point? Maybe the cabin wasn't the best place to do it. No. You know, um, such um, dangers around. Yeah. So David goes to see Mia, who's uh, now in, in her room, um, just cowered up on a, on a bunk bed on the bottom bunk. And again, you know, more fantastic acting from Jane Levy at this point. Um, this really, you get to see the versatility in her acting at this stage. She uh, starts whispering to David and starts saying, you know, we need to get out of here. Um, there's something in the woods and it's in here with us. And David very much does the uh, disbelieving white guy in a film thing. And uh, he's like, oh, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's all in your head. And he literally says the words, it's all in your head. Um, and uh, says, uh, you know, You'll be your fancus for being such assholes. It's like, okay, how fucking stupid are you? Look at the state of her. This is clearly not because of her drugs. Yeah, like it's he's such a dumb character at this stage. And then um, he leaves her, and she sees dead eye mirror in the uh, in the mirror, which again signals that this is the point she's at now. Um, David then uh, goes uh, goes out to. Well, first of all, Eric is flicking through the Book of the Dead. And obviously, she's told them what's happened. And the, exactly what's happened to her is pictured in the book. So mm-hmm. he's, he's started to notice similarities. 
Um, as a white hipster man doesn't need to decide to tell anyone. <laughs> he doesn't need to tell anyone. No, just keep it to himself. And David takes the cats down from the basement and goes outside to film in the bin. Um, but finds Grandpa dead under the shed. And Aww. I was not okay with this. No, poor Grandpa. And what makes it even worse is, uh, you know, I really liked Mira up until this point. And you get a flashback to her fucking going crazy, beating the doctor to death with a hammer. No, th- th- is that not David's imagination? That that's what, I suppose. Oh, actually, I never thought about that. I thought that was David imagining what happened to the dog. Oh. Because I don't see at what point Mia killed the dog. True. Um, so I, I felt that, like, some sort of crazy entity killed the dog. Um, and... Because there was... Was it a hammer nearby? A bloodied hammer? There was a bloody hammer nearby, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure how Grandpa died, mm. to be fair. And okay. I'm, I'm not sure if the film no, tells I didn't us think about that. how Grandpa died. But he obviously automatically assumes that Mia did it. Yeah. Um, did... So, Mia was aware of Grandpa, the dog. Yeah. Um, but it was David's dog that he brought with him. I think it was their family dog that he took over. So he stole the dog? Yeah. Oh, God, Jesus. Terrible character. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so he stole the dog. So he literally left his mother and sister yeah. to fend for themselves. Oh, wow. What a piece of shit. Um, so David uh, goes back into the cabin to find Mia and fucking hell this is when it really ramps the, f- the horror up in this because this scene is probably the least graphic of all the scenes in this film and it's still oh, it's an I could feel watch. it like yeah. almost it's, so Mia's in the shower David goes to confront her and um, she turns the shower up to the highest heat on there and it's just like smouldering hot like blistering upon her it's Grim. It's fucking grim. She's not turned it up, though, has she? Yeah, she did it herself. She turned yeah. it up. Okay. And then uh, you know for certain now she's definitely fucking possessed. So, um, yeah, so David uses his brain, puts her in a car and drives off. Um, but at this stage, it's a bit too late for that now because it started raining even worse than before. And uh, in very much, again, in not to the original... The bridge that they had to go over to get to the cabin is completely flooded. Yes. And there's no way out. And whilst Mia's like vomiting, not vom, well, she's foaming sort of at the foaming mouth. Foaming at the mouth, um, isn't she? Still... And these, these burns are yeah. developing even more. So they go back uh, to the cabin and uh, everyone's panicking now. Um, you know, Eric's like, oh, maybe this isn't to do with the drugs. It's like, oh, no shit. Because, again, in the book... Maybe this is to do with this book I read. Maybe it's because in the book, there's a woman pouring hot water over herself. Very much like what's just happened to Mia again. Uh, Olivia's like, uh, yeah, okay, um, you know, these are like third degree burns. This is, you know, not right now. Oh, really? Is that what you took you to now? Um, They said that, you know, they they were on about, they gave her a a tranquilizer to put her out um, to sleep and... uh, Hopefully that'll calm her down, but it doesn't work because Mia approaches them with a shotgun and she shoots David in the arm and this just leads to the cabin going fucking crazy. She informs them that they're all going to die. Yes. But before she does that, um, 
when the windows open, the drawers start opening and closing, the doors go crazy. Mm. There's you could slightly hear a voiceover saying, "One by one, we will take you," and that's taken exactly from the original film. I see. It's the exact um, voice used from oh, it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Mia says you're all going to die tonight, and collapses, and um, so at that point, like, okay, we uh, need to give her another tranquilizer, and so uh, Olivia goes over to Mia. Mia vomits blood into Olivia's face. Yeah, but it was probably like yellow bits. Yeah. It looked like... It looked like vomit with blood. Yeah. It was absolutely disgusting. So, um... (laughs) Eric then kicks Mia into the basement, locks her in there, very much like Cheryl in the original. Yeah. Um... And I think that's when, you know, the film's telling you, this is what the setup is. If you're expecting it to be like the original, this is just Cheryl, David Jurash. Yeah. Sorry that we gave you such a piece of shit as Ash. With that, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so Olivia goes to get the tranquilizer, another one to uh, put Mia to sleep. Uh, at this stage, they're like, they don't even care, you know, if this puts her in a coma, they you know, need to calm her down. So Olivia goes into the bathroom and... Uh, the mirror that she opens slowly closes and she can see a daylight version of herself in the mirror. It smashes and uh, the book, op- Eric opens the book to some face cutting and, you know, it doesn't go and warn her. <laughs> well, she wets herself on the way to the bathroom, yeah. doesn't she? Well, no, on the way out. Um, Is it on the way so out? the mirror smashes and she goes to leave and it's just she's stopped in her tracks. Uh, she has a wee. <laughs> um, she is. Very yellow. She needed to, to be drinking a lot more. As, as a registered nurse, she really should have uh, been way more hydrated than she was. Thank you for that medical diagnosis. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> if it's clear, cheer. So, after this, uh, Eric goes to investigate and uh, Olivia's back in the bathroom and uh, she's going to town on her own face with a piece of the glass from the mirror. Yeah, so it's our second case of self-harm, but when the Deadites take over. You yeah. didn't get that in the first film, did you? Not really, no. No. No, it was more harm than ever, wasn't it? I don't know what it means, but um, but yeah, it all sort of starts with self-harm and then goes into harming others. Yeah. Yeah. And um, is, this, is this drugs, drug addiction again? Yeah, yeah it could be. I this mean, idea of self-harm? Yeah. I think the whole thing with Mia was, you know, like I said, the drug addiction. So it could be carrying it on to the other characters through the Deadites as well. Because it's the same sort of demonic entity going through all of them. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, Olivia's cutting her face open. Uh, Eric slips on a bit of skin. He smacks his head on the toilet. And Olivia goes up to him and starts stabbing him with the glass. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and a needle. And a needle Ooh. right in the eye. Yeah. Ugh. I cannot take stuff like this. I The practical effects were very good. Uh, the practical effects are incredible in this film. Like, the amount of effort that's gone into them were amazing. I mean, I can't watch paint to the eye to fingernails or the dick. Those are the three. <laughs> Those are the three. I can't, I can't stomach. Um, and, yeah, so he, he gets it in the eye. Um... And so, uh, <laughs> to uh, he, he managed to get her off him, and uh, he pulls the needle out of the eye, which is just as graphic. Yeah. Um, and uh, then he bashes her brains in with a toilet lid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, 
David and Natalie find him. Yeah, because Natalie's still in the film, by the way. Uh, which one's Natalie? Uh, David's girlfriend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> blonde one. The blonde girl's still yeah. in the film. I forgot about um, her. And it takes all of what's just happened for Eric to tell David about the book. <laughs> um, and he basically no, tells him sense. he's the reason this is all happening. Yeah. You know, um, I read the book and now... No one blames him, though. No. No. No one seems to say what the fuck were you doing with this stupid book. Yeah. Well, they're healing him in the, in the garage and trying to patch up his wounds. And again, the practical effects are really showing off here. Like, there's a massive wound, wound in his chest and it looks far too real. Yeah. Um, so Natalie goes to get some uh, water and sugar to help him for his wound. Water uh, and sugar? That's what they say. Get some water and sugar. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you're going full on doctor today. Do you not think that'll work? I don't know. <laughs> Water and sugar? I've never heard of that. I've heard of, like, alcohol to clean the wound. Alright. Water and sugar. So, um... When when Natalie goes back, the basement door's open, and Mia starts talking to her in a normal voice, trying to convince her to go down to the basement. And because of the type of character Natalie is, she goes down to the basement. I'm sorry, what kind of character is Natalie? A blonde victim in a horror film. There we go. So she. Um, I think, I think that Natalie was in it because later on it says it needs five. It does need five people. Needs yeah, five people to die, and needs four people. Just doesn't have the right ring to it. So there's no. an extra person. Five. <laughs> five sounds right because five's like the pentagram, and you know. Yeah. Makes more sense. Cabin in the Woods did it the year before, so they have to do it with us as well. Um, so she goes down to the basement to see Mia, and. Mia's obviously still possessed, and uh, she, Natalie tries to escape. She's dragged back down to the basement, and fucking hell, the violence has ramped up even more in this scene. And and this is like this is the scene where I'm like, okay, this is why it was banned in Ukraine. Clearly, this for me is the scene where it becomes almost slapstick. Yeah, but again, there's a little bit of uh, implied sexual assault because Natalie's. Um, Mia starts licking in between Natalie's legs. She's definitely going towards a certain area. I see. She's definitely going towards there, and uh, Natalie threatens her with a... Is it a Stanley knife, do we call these in the UK? Uh, yeah, we do, yeah. Um, she threatens her with this knife, and uh, Mia's not really bothered about that. She tells her she can smell her filthy soul, um, and uh, she bites Natalie, and then takes the knife off her, and uh, cuts her tongue in half. Yeah... Uh, that's gruesome. That, again. That made me win. So practical effects on absolute top form. Yeah, they are, yeah. actually. Because yeah, even after she cuts is. the tongue, the tongue's still wiggling and everything. Yeah. Is, yeah. Um, then she uh, makes a lovely proposition to Natalie. She says, uh, kiss me, you dirty cunt. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and proceeds to kiss her with her tongue in half. Um, David... Opens the uh, basement to see his sister and his uh, girlfriend making out. Although, um, they're like me, and then offers him to go down there so she could suck his cock and cause him a pretty boy. And uh, again, back to the sexual assault thing, um, he says, Mia, and she's like, No, your sister's being raped in hell. Oh. It's a very demon thing to say, isn't it? Yeah, and it is. And it it is, you know, that I, I hate to go on about it. But, um, you know, sexual assault is a horrible thing. And so why wouldn't a demon 
yeah. say that. And that, that goes back to the days of The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very much yeah. a line of dialogue you wouldn't be surprised to hear in The Exorcist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that entire five minutes from, you know, or if it's even five minutes, it felt like five minutes of uh, Natalie going back, you know, the whole basement thing and the licking of the leg Stupid and bitch. using the word cunt and everything. It's, yeah. That was like five minutes of pure shock yeah. and horror. Um, very Exorcist. Yeah, and it, again, it's not something you'd necessarily see in a film in 2013. Um, you had your torture porn just before that, and, you know, yeah, it just wasn't very... Um... I mean, I saw it in the cinema, I was genuinely shocked. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in 2013. If, you know, if it was a film that was made in the 80s, I wouldn't have been so shocked. But, yeah, it was something different. Um, but, yeah, so uh, Mia's locked back in the basement, this time with Chains. Like the uh, original. And uh, Eric's trying to burn the book, but it won't burn. And uh, give us some exposition about the book. It says, once it has five souls, the abomination will rise. Uh, good job Natalie's there. I know, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you really enjoyed this scene. Natalie starts running her hand under a tap and starts squeezing some puss out of her, uh, <laughs> out of her hand. I actually found it quite... Um... <laughs> Oh, what's the word? Satisfying? Satisfying, actually. It looked fucking disgusting. It was... <laughs> if you're a fan of Dr. Pimple Popper, then uh, <laughs> this might be the scene for you. Yeah, she's um, popping some demon out of her. Jeez. And um, <laughs> and, uh, and this is cut in between uh, Eric saying we're going to have to kill Mia and David not being the biggest fan of this idea. Um, but then we see that Natalie's hand is very much... Ash demon invected from Evil Dead 2. Um, but less comedic. Um, and Mia's looking up from the basement. Now, originally, this had a scene that was in the trailer of her doing the whole We're Gonna Get You, Not Another Peep song from uh, the see. original. That's in the extended version. Uh. Um, but yeah, in, in in this version, Mia's like, Don't you do it, you little bitch. <laughs> She's like, fuck you. And Natalie says that to Mia and uh, gets the meat knife, the electric meat knife, and... Uh, Cuts her off. off. Yeah. <laughs> in so much detail. Like, I don't know how this was kept in with this much detail. Yeah, it's gruesome. It's so graphic. And it's obviously a nod to uh, Ash. Ash cutting off his own hand. So, an iconic yeah. scene in Evil Dead 2. Oh, another gender swap. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's trying to be Ash. Oh, no. <laughs> It don't even work. <laughs> At least it worked for Ash. Well, well, I mean, Ash cuts his hand off and then fights his hand. Um, Natalie just... makes the power go off and uh, tells David she feels much better now and her arm just falls off. <laughs> so David tapes it up. But this is where I feel the slapstick comes Oh, the slapstick it. really I mean, comes I, in now. If that was a normal person then they would have just been dead. Yeah. Like probably after, right after the arm was cut off. Um, it is over the top. The gore is very over the top, like yeah. it was in the original. So I do think that brings a little bit of comedy, a little slapstick to the, to it. Yeah, David David proceeds to tape her arm up with some uh, gaffer tape. <laughs> sugar um, and water. Sugar and water <laughs> on it. Uh, and then we... We're told by Eric, the Deadite expert, um, that uh, <laughs> it's just reminded me of something. In um, on the horror show podcast, they used to have the Mangle expert 
Because in The Mangler, there's a guy in it that knew everything about a killer washing machine or whatever the fuck it was in that film. Not a washing machine. A mangler. A, a mangler. Um, yeah. Piece what of machinery. It? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a guy in that film that knows everything about a possessed one of those. Eric is that guy in this film. He okay. is a dead-eye expert. Like, he reads one book and he fucking knows it all, but he decides to keep it until it's too late. Um, but he... Uh, this is... Um, an interesting moment because this is when he says that whatever is inside Mia is the cause of all of this. Yeah, and he's like blaming her. And like, fuck uh, you, bitch! Please, you're the cause of all. Of this. Actually, yeah. it's Grandpa. But <laughs> in terms of humans who can use their, you know, logic, it was you who fucked everything up. If you didn't read the book that said, "Do not read do me." Not, yeah. Then. You know, maybe she wouldn't have something inside of her. She'd probably, she'd probably be on the way to uh, recovery by now. If, yeah. You know. <laughs> but at this Remove point, the dead cats and she'd have been fine. At this point in the film, all your victims so far have been female. Yeah. But the cause of all of this, mm. the two men are still... Uh, I mean, obviously one of them's been shot and the other one's been stabbed with a needle oh, many times. It does make me laugh how much harm comes to Eric in this film before he actually dies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guess what he deserves for being such a fucking idiot, but... Um, but, you know, they've caused all of this and yet they're not the victims yet. Yeah, and then we find out that, you know, the three ways to kill a deadite is alive burial, um, bodily dismemberment or purified by fire... Um, but David reveals that his mum died in a mental hospital at this stage, which we didn't really know earlier on. We didn't know that's where she was. We thought she was just ill. They didn't really yeah. explain what was going on. And he thinks that's what's happening with Mia. Um, but then... Ooh. Not good representation. No, not not for, very good. Uh, for these two characters. And that, no. that is why David does not deserve to be the Ash, does not deserve to be the final guy. Yeah. Because he, he isn't, you know. No. He's they're, put all the blame on everybody else. They're victims, but, you know, and they're victims of their own stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, unfortunately, the three women, um, you know, they're victims of their stupidity as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not necessarily Mia. She's, she's a victim of... Of course. Oh, oh, of, of their, their I thought, I thought, I thought you meant of their own stupidity. Not their own, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 you're right. Yeah, yeah. These two guys' yeah, stupidity. That's true. Um, they're interrupted by Natalie, who's now a deadite, and she has nails in her head. It's fucking gloriously over the top. It is. It is ridiculous. She's practically a Cenobite from Hellraiser at this stage. And again, that, that <laughs> um, self harm. Yeah. For yeah. harming others. I mean, that was her cutting off her arm, but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, she shoots herself in the face with some nails, but yeah. um, off screen. But then she starts shooting Eric with this nail gun. Um, eventually, she runs out of nails on it, and uh, Natalie then grabs a crowbar and starts hitting David with it. Um, Eric comes back from his nail gun shooting, shoots her with the nail gun, which is now reloaded, and she starts hitting him. And again. Fucking brutal scene because he puts his hand up and the way she hits him with the crowbar, the way they did the practical effects, it looks like she actually splits his hand in half. It is fucking gruesome. Um, but then she lifts her arm up one more time to hit him again, but David shoots her with her arm off and now she's she's armless. Hey. <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry guys, you've got to try and be funny. These are very serious episodes. Um, so... She uh, goes up to David and says, why are you hurting me? She's back to normal, Natalie, and dies. 
Um, so then... Yeah, there's not much to say about yeah. her. Her as a character, she was just... We don't care about her or fodder. David, so it doesn't really matter Not much. really, she was just a dead-eye fodder. And, and David's then like, yeah, I know what I've got to do. I've, I've got to kill my sister. Um... And uh, he says, you know, to Eric, we won't, let me, we won't let you die. And I was like, well, at this point, the script's not letting you die. Uh, he, Eric says, die would be so bad right now. I just don't want to become the devil's bitch. Well, I mean, if you didn't read a book in the first place, that risk wouldn't be there, would it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, David starts covering a cabin in petrol um, to burn Mia alive. Uh, but then she starts singing the lullaby from earlier in the film. And then he thinks back to... Um, a conversation they had about the defibrillating when she OD'd before and comes up with an idea, which leads to a very Evil Dead 2-esque montage of uh, him grabbing accessories from the uh, from <laughs> yes. the shed, including a shot to the chainsaw, which then lifts up and he doesn't grab it as a bit of a tease. Um, so he heads down to the basement to go and find Mia, uh, which is now flooded. Yeah, I'm sure you've got something to say about that. I haven't got anything to no? say about the, the flooded, flooded basement. basement. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, so he goes down to there. Mia glides towards him in a very Army of Darkness-esque way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she glides towards him and uh, starts cutting him and throwing him around. Uh, She's really strong. She's very I, strong. I thought this was quite funny because it was just sort of like she was just sort of throwing him into each corner of the room. They felt like it was the same shot each time. Yeah, it's very very cheesy. This scene, it, it's great. Um, I think the lighting really helps with this scene as well. Uh, but she tries drowning David, and uh, Eric turns up, still alive, whacks her over the head with a crowbar, but it's revealed that she stabbed him. Uh, and he dies at last he finally dies Um, so David puts a red dress on Mia which and the necklace Um, do you think that's a sort of symbolism the fact he buries her in this red dress that we've not heard anything about before now and then considering about the red dress well no but I mean the fact that he puts it on her he, he actually puts it on her she wasn't wearing it originally and then Obviously, with what happens with the rain and blood and everything, it's very red. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything. Oh, I don't know. No, I don't. Maybe. Maybe. Someone can explain it to us. I I just thought red was danger. Um, Well, he he, he buries her, and she comes back to life, and um, she wakes up, and she starts saying demon stuff to him, um, like uh, asking why he's doing this, and... uh, Taunting him about the mum and abandoning them. Um, and in a way, this could be seen as him burying his guilt. Yeah, yeah, essentially. She's proper reading him to filth yeah. over his past decisions. Um, and yeah, maybe this could be him burying his guilt, which he didn't deserve to because he hasn't resolved any of it. No. Well, he um, after he's buried her alive, he, he then digs her back up and uh, brings her back to life by form of needles and electricity. Um, what about you, Dr. Chris? Do you think that's a good... Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how I always do it. Okay, good. Glad that's accurate. Um, so she comes back to life. Uh, we think it's all all good now, you know, it's all sorted. Um, and uh, David goes to get the car keys from the cabin, but 
<laughs> Guess who's back? Oh, Eric! Oh. He's Deadite Eric now, and he stabs him. Um, David gives me the car keys and locks her out of the cabin because uh, he wants to be the hero. And uh, he shoots the uh, petrol can and sets the place on fire. Yeah, so he essentially sacrifices himself to save Mia. It's um, about fucking time. Well, yeah, because she sacrificed a lot because of him. Yeah. So this isn't... So maybe he was burying his guilt, but the guilt's always there. The only way for him to relieve himself is to make that ultimate sacrifice for Mia. Yeah. Uh, this gives uh, the five corpses that the demon needs, and uh, it starts raining blood. And uh, from this uh, blood rain comes the abomination rising up out of the ground. Who are, the four corp- who are the five corpses? Natalie, Olivia, David, Eric, and originally Mia. But she's, she's alive again. Yeah, but she died originally. So that's still what it needed. Oh! Yeah, so then that's what brings the abomination to life. Um, and one grandpa as well. Does Grandpa count? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think Grandpa's count. Um, yeah, so when it starts raining blood, she finds a necklace on the floor in the shape of a skull, like in the first two films. Chris is thrilled that the necklace is back. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, the abomination rises up, um, crawls after Mia. Uh, Mia crawls into the shed, grabs the chainsaw, and it's like, someone had to do it. Um... When the abomination does rise up and grabs Mia's hand, it's very similar to last week's film. Yes. It's very, very Carrie-esque. I feel like there's a lot of... You can tell um, horror films that are made by fans of horror films. Yeah. Because there's always a little nod. I I always find there's a little nod to other horror films. Yeah, definitely. Um... Because someone like Wes Craven, you didn't really get that because he was never really a fan. He wasn't a fan of horror films. He well, didn't he, really want to make horror films. He made the films that people are making these nods to. So. Yeah, yeah. And he, he did a few. Obviously, Scream is Scream, more yeah. massive. But that that script was written by uh, Kevin Williamson. Wasn't yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a chase and scenes between The Abomination and Mia. Mia crawls into the, sh- into the side of the shed and a scene that really fucking bothers me every time I see it is she gets a machete to the knee and it, you can hear it scraping mm. on a bone and it's fucking grim. Um, she gets it to the arm as well and uh, they get out of the shed. Mia crawls under the car and uh, she's got the chainsaw now so she chainsaws the abomination's legs off and uh, this abomination is fucking strong and tips a car on her and it falls on her arm. Yes. Um, which then leads to... I think this is the bit where, you know, the film's like, okay, this is your ash. This is uh, this is your real ash now. Because yeah. she pulls her arm off again in a very graphic manner. It pulls no punches. She pulls her arm off from under the... Uh, well, her hand from under the car. And... Uh, the abomination crawls up to her and says, uh, I will feast on your soul. And in an, some incredible line delivery, Mia says to her, feast on this motherfucker and chainsaws her in half. That's the abomination dead. And that's the abomination dead. But Mia still sat, had another line to, for her and said, go back to hell, bitch. 
And of course, you know, me and a thousand other gay boys worldwide are like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm glad to know you're so excited about it as well. <laughs> um, the blood rain stops. Uh, Mia puts on a necklace to Chris's uh, joys. And yeah, yeah, looking nice. Um, puts a necklace on, walks away. Uh, the book closes itself. And then we get the credits. But as the credits uh, reach the end, we get the voice from the tape recorder of the first film. And uh, we get Ash turning to the, court, to the screen saying groovy. And that's the end of the film. And that's the end of the film. Perfectly set up for a sequel with Ash. But uh, not had one yet. Yeah. I, um, I feel like the end... It's a good end for the film. I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we'd really... Because we'd had all that time when Mia was in the basement. Mm. I don't know. I'd like to see another film so we can sort of get to see her a little more. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was good. It was fun. It was a fun ending. Yeah. It was over the top. Uh-huh. Um which it should have been. And yeah. It yeah, it's, it's a fantastic film. I really, really love it. I know it's got a massive, massive following. So many horror fans love this film. Um, which, you know, it's good because, like you said, it kind of takes away that sort of uh, hatred for... Because it's not a remake, but, you know, material based on old material. Um, it's good when you expect dog shit. And everybody was expecting it to be dog shit. Yeah. Then the fact that it is good makes it so much better. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, I thought it was a very important film to discuss for, for Women in Horror Month because whereas last week we spoke about carrying out as the old representation in horror, you know, from the 70s, this is very much the modern representation of women in horror because, I mean, following from this, you get more strong female leads and... It's not a uh, a rare occurrence anymore for this no. to happen. You know, I mean, look at you know the latest Halloween that was released. Um, you know, you got Laurie Strode in that, who is an absolute badass. Yeah, well, yeah. I never thought that Mia was ever the shrieking victim. In this, no, no. Yes, she was taken over by the the deadites. Um, so she was in a way a victim if you look at this in terms of her drug addiction uh, and the symbolism then she was a victim of you know her addiction yeah or being taken over by yeah. the dead eye but she was never seen to be shrieking or cowering at any point even t- even towards the end you know even at the end when she becomes our final girl yeah um, she's grabbing the chainsaw and trying to go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I'm glad that's the sort of representation we have now in uh, in horror because, I mean, it's very rare that you see a, a horror film where it's uh, insulting to women other than Black Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Black Christmas <laughs> tried too hard in the opposite direction, I, I feel. Um, should we mention... No, no. We won't mention... That film, what I was about to mention, because we are back on Friday with our original versus remake episode where we'll be talking about The Haunting, uh, 1963 versus 1999. And as you know, we do a best and worst of the month um, on 
those episodes and we watched the worst of the month on Friday. We won't discuss that right now. We'll leave you in suspense. Do you even uh, know what we're talking about? Yeah, you know, no, I know it's I forgettable, know. but fuck I know me. What about. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I did forget that film. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that as a surprise for you. <laughs> um, if, you've, if you're up to date with modern horror, then you'll know what it is anyway. Um, yeah, so we will be back on Friday. Thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think about Evil Dead. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know. Um, this, this won the vote that we put out between this and Jennifer's body. There's a lot of votes for Jennifer's body. Like, this won by about five votes, I'd say. Mm. So, I think we'll have to do an episode on that in the future. Um, because that, obviously, has a great following as well. Um, but, yeah. No, thanks for everyone who voted. Thanks for everyone uh, for listening. If you're on social media, get in touch with us. Uh, tell us some of your favourite strong female horror films. Uh we're on Horror Culture Rush over on Facebook and Instagram, Horror Culture Rush on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, give us a rate, review, and subscribe, like, and follow on anything else. On uh, the socials, are on Letterboxd, very appropriate to today, I'm DeadEyeGaz92. Uh, Gazmo205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. And until next time... Don't read any books covered in skin that you find in the basement underneath a load of dead cats. (laughs) See you on Friday. Bye.